W-O-R. You're in the W-O-R Sports Zone. Mets Spring Training Report. Well, the Mets, uh, a 2 nothing loss to the Houston Astros today down in spring training. Game heard right here on 710 WOR. Joining us right now from Florida, it is Howie Rose, the radio voice of the New York Mets. And uh, Howie, good to talk to you. How you doing? Same here, Pete. Doing well. Um, Steven Matz today, nine strikeouts. Uh, he struck out six of the last seven that he faced as he has put those first two spring training starts, um, you know, certainly in the rearview mirror. Uh, how how encouraging has it been for Matz to turn things around over these last few outings? Particularly encouraging today, Pete. Remember, they were facing a very representative lineup of the Houston Astros, the world champions, and uh, the fact that he didn't walk anybody along with those nine strikeouts was extremely impressive and encouraging. He really didn't show mid-90s velocity until very late in his outing, which was kind of surprising. He was really sitting at about 93 tops for what seemed like the first four or five innings, and all of a sudden you saw some 95s and 94s in there, and uh, that meant that he was saving a little something in reserve for later on and displayed it as efficiently as he did. That is very, very encouraging. Yeah, and we've seen now Matt's with a big strikeout number. Harvey has struck out eight in a game one. Syndergaard struck out seven nationals uh, in a row at one point uh, this spring training. DeGrom has been phenomenal. Even with Jason Vargas now dealing with this uh, hammock bone break, what kind of position do you think the Mets rotation is in as we start to approach opening day? You know, my feeling about spring training, Pete, is that it always looks good, even when it's supposed to look good. But when the regular season starts, everything changes. You know, the dynamic is different. You're facing a different quality of hitter, which is why today I thought was very, very impressive for Mets. But I just don't get carried away with anything that happens in spring training. I really don't. You know what strikeouts mean now compared to what they did 10 years ago. They look great. The numbers are great. What I like more than the strikeouts today from Mets was the command. Mm. That's the thing that was lacking earlier this spring. That's what he had today. I thought he had a very good curveball when he used it. It looked to me, and we're a little off to the third base side of home plate, as though he threw a couple of sliders. But I really liked his command today. I think that was the big thing. And um, However many he struck out or Syndergaard has struck out or Harvey has struck out, it's against varying levels of hitters. Sure. But the command is what you really look for, and Mets had that in spades today. And that's fair, but they're, they're mostly healthy, with the exception now being Vargas. Do you think the Mets would have signed up to be in this position uh, you know, a week and a half or so prior to opening day? I think so. You know, they were counting on Vargas to be one of the starting five. He won't for now, but it doesn't sound like he's going to be out too, too long. But, you know, I think what Matt's did maybe was create a little more separation between himself and Zach Wheeler if you're just looking at handicapping the four or five spots for now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, again, I, I just uh, maybe it's just haven't been around long enough to see big springs that go sour when the season starts or terrible springs that blossom into big seasons when you get underway. I, I just don't read too much into this other than some of the basic fundamental things that every manager or pitching coach is going to look for. And because Matt's had that today, I've been amazed frankly, at the command of both Syndergaard and DeGrom. So, you know, I'm not ready to throw Matt's in in the category with those two yet, but I think encouraging is the best word you can use to describe how the Mets' starting rotation looks right now. Certainly. We're talking right now with Howie Rose, radio voice of the New York Mets. Ioannis Cespedes uh, returned to the field today. How did he look uh, as, you know, he plays through that right wrist injury? Well, pretty nondescript. He had a base hit, um, so there was that. 
Um, and I know nobody other than those in the media tend to care about this, but, you know, he, he could not find the energy to speak to reporters after the game, instead issuing a statement saying that he felt fine and, and should be good to go uh, tomorrow, which is, which is nice. But, you know, for $27.5 million a year, I don't think it's asking too much to answer some benign questions from reporters after a spring training game. Um, you know, that's one of the things about Cespedes that make you scratch your head sometimes. But, you know, for the most part, all anybody really cares about, apart from uh, those of us within the media, is his performance. And I guess he looked fine today. Well, you have a different, you know, brain trust, a different manager at the very least with this Mets team. Do you notice any differences in how the Mets handle Ioannis Cespedes? None whatsoever. In fact, they're letting him handle himself, and I'm not so sure that's the best way to go. But again, you know, I caution for the umpteenth time, it's spring training, Mm -hmm. and I don't think that kind of thing necessarily will fly once the regular season starts. At least in my opinion, it shouldn't. And, um, you know, where it goes from there remains to be seen. We're talking again with Howie Rose. Anything that you consider to be meaningful during spring you talked about the command with the grom and cinder guard uh but i know yeah i've been keeping an eye on estrubal cabrera and adrian gonzalez and, and how do these guys look how are they moving around juan lagaris has had a rough spring behind the plate uh ploiecki and darno have been solid back there i mean what um you know what does stand out to you one way or the other well you know you mentioned a couple of guys who are really struggling and at least in the case of adrian gonzalez I suppose, given his veteran status and his baseball card, the accomplishments he's had, you know, you certainly give him some time into the season to get on track. But, you know, here we are uh, towards the end of spring training, and he's had, I think, including today, 44 at-bats with eight hits, and he hasn't driven in a run. And he had runners at second and third the last time he batted in the eighth inning today and and couldn't get the runs home. And uh, yeah, that's, that's a bit of a red flag for me, as I think Ligaris' struggles are as well, because Ligaris was supposed to introduce this new launch angle decide, uh, de- designed to potentially hit more home runs or at least get the ball up in the air more consistently, hit it hard once today. But I, I would be a little bit concerned about the two of them, to be sure. Um, you have to love what you've seen defensively and offensively from Kevin Ploiecki as well as Darno, And I think the Mets certainly look to be in pretty good shape behind the plate for now. Uh, but in terms of the red flags or the, the caution signs anyway, and you mentioned Cabrera, I think he's looked okay. And, you know, there's nothing that jumps out one way or the other about him. Okay. But I think that Gonzalez and Lagares are both worthy of concern. And Brandon Nimmo has taken advantage of his opportunity. He's been phenomenal offensively. It's pretty easy to see him being the leadoff guy on opening day. Uh, one aspect of his game I haven't seen a, a ton of, but he'll be asked to play center field with Cespedes in left field, Jay Bruce in right. How has he handled that position uh, with you know an extended run here in spring training? I have not seen any problems from Nimmo defensively in center field at all. Now, you know, a couple of things you have to know right off the bat. He's not going to cover the amount of ground that Lagaris will. I'm not even sure if he'll cover the amount of ground that Michael Conforto will. But I think he's got a very mature approach at the plate for someone as relatively inexperienced as he is. And again, I think he's serviceable defensively. And what they're going to be looking for over the first 
well, month of the season, if you just take at face value the plan that Conforto's back on May 1st, they're going to be looking for Nimmo to do what he generally does, which is give you a deep quality at bat, although what he's tried to do this spring is be a little more aggressive so that pitchers don't feel they can just get ahead in the count by slipping a first-pitch fastball by him that he's going to look at. Uh, and, and, you know, I think it's, it's going to be something akin to a platoon with Ligaris over the first little while, but... If Lagares is not going to get on base, how do you hit him Lena, uh, leadoff? Okay. And, and and that's that's an issue for the Mets. If Lagares is going to be in the lineup, you can't hit him up there if he's not getting on base with any consistency, and then that changes the rest of the dynamics. So clearly for me, Nimmo has completely outplayed Lagares this spring. How that manifests with playing time, we'll find out sooner than later. And I think even if Lagares isn't starting, he could still have an important role with what he does defensively, late in games that are close. I don't think that he's a guy that would just totally get lost over the course of this year, right? No question. He's got to be a defensive replacement, and I'm, I'm sure he will. But you know, don't forget, I mean, this is a guy, and it was team-friendly, of course. They signed to a four-year deal, uh, won a gold glove, and really looked like he was about to emerge, and he just hasn't been able to take that next step. So it's not that they're paying him a whole lot of money in the grand scheme of things. So if he's a little more expensive than your average defensive replacement, so be it. But I still think the Mets need Juan Lagares to be a whole lot more than a defensive replacement. You know, one camp that's been interesting to me, and of course it's the the team that's become the measuring stick for the Mets, and that's you know what's going on with the Washington Nationals and their new manager, Davey Martinez, taking uh, you know, some tricks maybe from Joe Madden. They've had camels running around there to get over the hump uh, and win a playoff series. They've had they had they were golfing the other day. They've done uh, they practiced their walk off home runs uh, on a backfield. I mean, what do you make of some of those ways? I guess of motivating a team or, or getting through a spring training. You know what? It's not as offbeat as you think. And I know Madden gets credit for doing a lot of goofy things, and they only work when you're winning. You know, yeah. I mean, they only look good if you're either in a race or way out in front. But I think one thing that is across the board in spring training, and managers do it a little bit differently than, than, than some others, but it is so tedious mm. and so long now that everything, as much as everybody likes being in the warm weather here in Florida, it tends to drag, and your mind starts to think more towards opening day, however cold it might be mm. in certain cities in the major leagues. And so because of that tedium and because of the, the repetition of drills early on and the way this thing just drags on and on, meaningless game after meaningless game, it's a smart move for a manager to find some way to lighten things up. Is it going to make a gigantic difference at the end of the year in terms of wins and losses? Well, you can't quantify it. All it can do is make for a more pleasant working environment. But believe me, when you're going through the drudgery of spring training, that stuff counts for something, if only as it involves the interpersonal relationships between players and a manager. Because really, managing right now is as much about how you handle the people and how you get them to respond to you as players as anything you do strategically. Definitely. I know Mickey Callaway is focused on getting the guys on and off the field, in and out, uh, as quickly, as efficiently as possible. Has there been anything you've seen that, that he's brought to the table to try to change things up in that kind of way with the Mets? Nothing out of the ordinary. Yeah. The word that he wanted to use from the very beginning was efficiency. And it's not like he devised the entire 
spring training plan. A lot of it's very rote and boilerplate. Gary DeSarcina, the bench coach, had a lot to do with, you know, the specific schedules and uh, plans for any particular day. But I, I haven't seen anything particularly outrageous. I asked him that just um, a couple of weeks ago, actually, quite a while back, really, in spring training, if he had anything particularly offbeat planned. And uh, I remember Terry Collins used to organize a bowling tournament mm-hmm. for the guys, which was his way of, you know, getting them away from the rigors of spring training. Uh, one thing Mickey had in mind right off the bat was that, uh, what was it? Uh, the shark, shark fishing. fishing, yeah. And uh, there weren't that many guys who participated in it, of course, but uh, that was one of the things that he had in mind. And I really haven't seen anything um, particularly out of the ordinary since then. And we're talking again with Howie Rose, radio voice of the New York Mets. Uh, I thought this was interesting. Maury Brown of Forbes ranked the 30 major league ballparks. He, ha- he has AT&T Park uh, number one. Do you have a favorite? Uh, have you been to all 30 of the parks at this point, Howie? I think excluding either of the New York teams because people have a chance to sample them more readily than they do the others, but just to give them a flavor for what's out of town, I would concur 100% that the entire experience in San Francisco is is the best of the other 28 right now, and I don't even know how close it is. There are others that are good, to be sure, but, man, the Giants do everything right in that regard. Or Whatever I think of AT&T Park, I swear I can still smell those garlic fries from 3,000 <laughs> miles away. It's the pervasive aroma when you walk into that park. But everything from their game presentation to um, all of their publications and uh, the way they highlight their players and their history and the tradition and everything else that's made the Giants so great for so long. Remember, a lot of teams might eschew their previous home. Uh, when you go into Washington, for example, there's not a whole lot of Montreal Expo stuff that, mm-hmm. that you see around there. And maybe it's understandable because they never won anything. But when you go to San Francisco and go to AT&T Park, they've got New York Giants stuff all around there, too, to remind you that this franchise has a very deep, rich history that long precedes their time in San Francisco. I think of the other 28, they're, they're the best, clearly. Yeah, yeah I, I loved AT&T Park. It's great atmosphere there, too, as uh, the Giants, you know, with those three World Series become you know such a such a go to thing there in San Francisco. I was surprised too, and uh, you know the Yankee Stadium ahead of City Field, only by one spot on this list. But what do you make of that, Howie? It's hard for me to be objective here. Yeah. Okay, but me too. I can say well, seriously, because I I have to lean on other people because I just experience it from a very sort of within a very narrow prism. You sure. know, broadcast booth and um, the experience from the perspective of one who's working there. But the ballpark wasn't built for broadcasters or writers. It was built for the fans. And what I can tell you is, and I know one Yankee fan who is a neighbor of mine down here and a good friend, we play golf a lot, and he's a huge Yankee fan, and he's taken his grandchildren to both places, and he much prefers City Field, the Yankee Stadium. What the Mets wanted to do at City Field was create an intimate surrounding relative to all the bells and whistles that are at big league parks now. I think the Yankees wanted to create more of a, a you know, a five-star hotel that also happened to have a baseball field within its confines. And I think to that end, they both achieved their objectives. But I think across the board, a lot of fans that I've spoken with who have been to both, whether they're Yankee fans strictly or Mets fans strictly or fence sitters or just casual fans, they really love the intimacy and, and the experience at City Field. I'm with you. I'm with you. I was surprised uh, to see that. I know it's Yankee Stadium, but I, w- I will test your objectivity here, Howie. Uh, Shea Stadium or Old Yankee? 
Well, it's very complicated for me because yeah. I was introduced to baseball by my dad at the old, original Yankee Stadium okay. in 1961. Now, imagine imagine being introduced to baseball and really latching on to players. For example, Roger Maris was my first baseball hero. Mm-hmm. And imagine, as a seven-year-old, watching Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle in the incredible race to see if either or both of them could catch or pass Babe Ruth's all-time record, which, of course, Maris did on the last day of the year. That was just an incredible way to make an impression on a young kid. Um, but I often said that eventually I was having my mail sent to Shea Stadium, <laughs> Section 1, Upper Deck, Seat 1, mm-hmm. behind home plate, because that's where I seemed to grow up. So, look, I'll always be partial towards Shea, but Yankee Stadium, the original stadium, uh, for personal reasons, family reasons, um, has a very, very deep hold on my emotions as well. There you go. Got to get the tough questions in here. Howie Rose, uh, we appreciate the time tonight, Howie, and we look forward to opening day. We'll see you in a week and a half. Sounds good to me, Pete. Be well.